Well, what a blast it is to start some podcasts in the new series of Above and Beyond. And while I have known the guest today, Joel Klatt, for a long time, we share a similar job. We both have a passion for sports broadcasting. We both were sons of football coaches, high school football coaches, and grew up in very competitive families. You peel the onion back a little bit more and you realize, boy, what different journeys we have had. Uh, We have the same relationship with Christ. I think that guides a lot of our lives. It certainly guides this podcast, the intersection of faith and sports. But even more than that, as we dig into Joel's life, you start to understand the crossroads of religion versus relationship, the facades that he had built over the course of his life as a tremendous student athlete and how they came crumbling down and how it really turned into remarkable relationship to this day that he has with his savior. I know that you will enjoy this. You will appreciate Joel's transparency. Uh, You'll appreciate his love for family and, and now raising his own family. Here's my buddy, my conversation with Joel Clark. Clatt, you and I go back uh, a long ways. You and I share a lot of life together, um, a lot of similarities. A lot of things, though, I don't know about the Joel Clatt growing up. I don't. I, I now live and make my home in Colorado. I feel I like I'm more... Say, you're, you're like in, in my... We like trade... Well, we didn't trade places, but you're certainly... Uh, like, for instance, Brock, you live across the street from my brother and sister-in-law and two nephews. Yeah. So you spend more time with my nephews than I get to spend with my nephews. I mean, arguably, they love me more than Uncle Joel. I'm not going to say that on a podcast. No, no, no. There's, I don't think there's any question. You're a way nicer person, just a way better human. No, no. I just cook for them. And anytime I got leftovers, your little your little nephew Jackson sprints over and knocks on my door and, and I hand it to him. Uh, tell me about you growing up. I, I know you and I also share, besides our career paths and different and quarterbacking, uh, a dad that was a football coach, and yeah. uh, I, I know the impact mine had on me. Just kind of curious. Take me through your family, your mom and dad, your upbringing, and uh, give me a little give me a little taste of the Joel Clatt Coloradoan. So we grew up. Um, I'm the youngest of four, um, so I've got an older brother and two older sisters, and I was, um, as my mom said, the flu was not planned. And uh, all of a sudden, there's this bundle of joy four years after everyone, you know, all neatly planned two years apart. And then, bang, here I come. And so I was basically um, God's provision because everything that went wrong with the first three, he had to correct. And so here I came. And that's how I always say it. Uh, Grew up in Arvada, Colorado, uh, just north of Denver, kind of between Denver and Boulder. Um, My... I would start with the the fact that I grew up in a household that we were all believers and we went to church every Sunday. So it was a very large part of my life for as long as I can remember. Uh, faith was and the Bible, Sunday school, church every Sunday. Um, my dad was a teacher and a coach. And my mom went back to work when I was in third grade, and she was a kindergarten teacher. So we didn't grow up with much. Um, You know, like I can remember early in my elementary years, my mom would make our clothes, like the shorts that we would go back to school with. Um, Because my dad, I think my dad, by the time I was like in kindergarten, I think he was barely making like $22,000, $23,000 a year, and my mom wasn't working. So... 
you know, we, we had a life of, you know, get the wiffle ball bat and go in the backyard because that's just what it was. And if it was snowing, you go out there and you draw lines in the field and you, and you play. So my, my upbringing was very athletic and it, there wasn't a lot of means. And, and then there was always this background of Christianity and faith. So we went to church every Sunday and I think that's kind of how I would, I would start it. My dad was a Marine. He was, he fought in Vietnam. Then he was a football coach. Um, did not talk about Vietnam very much. I never called him sir. You know, it's not like I grew up in a military house. I think it was because he, he didn't think of that time in his life very fondly. Obviously, I mean, he was in a war. He was a first lieutenant of an artillery division. That doesn't mean that we didn't grow up with like without rules. And yes, it was a strict household. There's no doubt. Um, so that's kind of a, a picture of like young childhood for me. So you were the youngest. Uh, mm-hmm. Influence and impact of your siblings on you was what? Um, I don't think it can be stated. I probably could not measure um, the the ways that my siblings impacted me, uh, each of them, and and each of them in different ways. So my oldest sister was eight, is eight years older than me, and I just always looked at her, and she, I've never actually said this, but she was you know, almost like more of a motherly figure to me, as well as my mom, you know, obviously there was my mom, but then Julie, my oldest sister, you know, it's like, we didn't grow up together, you know, eight years is a, is a huge difference. And so, you know, Julie was more of an adult figure in my life. My brother is six years older than me and he was a very good athlete. So he was my idol athletically, everything he did, I wanted to do everything, you know? And so he doesn't know this, but I watched him do everything the way he poured his cereal, you know, the way he ate his cereal, the way he went about everything, the way he treated people, the way he walked, the way he hit a baseball, the way he threw a football, the way he shot a basketball, the way he talked trash. I did everything exactly like my brother eventually just did it a little better. Uh, see, I've always got to take shots, but <laughs> um, got, always got to take shots. And yeah. then my sister closest to me, Brock, um, and this will kind of come to fruition, would eventually have the greatest impact of all of them because she was the one that impacted me um, more so spiritually than any of the others. Uh, so that's how they each influenced me. And then obviously, you know, my dad and, and mom and their faith and just their hard work and, and tenacity and, and the way that they raised us, um, that, that's, that's a good picture of kind of like where I came from. Very middle class, very blue collar, um, kind of earn everything that you get uh, type of, of, of upbringing. And then we were at church every Sunday. Now, let me kind of move more into the faith side. So... Unfortunately, what happened is is that faith became a part of my life growing up and not the overarching engine and catalyst to everything that I was doing. Hmm. And so, like, 
and this is to nobody's fault, right? It's just, this is just kind of what happens. And I think this is actually something that I fear having my kids very much immersed in um, a faith, you know, culture and community that we have. I'm constantly talking to them about identity because for me, I had my identity in things as well as Christianity. You know, it was one of the spokes on the wheel of my life versus it being the wheel and my life kind of being the spokes. So that started to take root early, and I very much poured myself, poured myself into athletics. And that's where I found my identity. That's where I found uh, my worth. Unfortunately, as I got into my formative years, into junior high and high school, and because of that, my pushback on, you know, getting involved in a youth group or being part of the uh, group of kids that were more faith-based, right? I pushed against that and I was in the in crowd and I wanted to be liked and I wanted to be popular and I wanted to be excel at whatever sport I was in. And that's where I put all of my emphasis and all of my identity. Um, that, that was highly detrimental, you know, eventually, but that's kind of where, when you Mm -hmm. start, when I start thinking about 13, 14, 15, that's where I was going. We were excelling as a little league baseball team. We were, you know, and so like, that's, that's where I drew my identity in those years. And then you played for dad, huh? In high school? That's right. So, so then, um, I get into high school and it was actually, there's, there's a, a small blip in the story because he decided to go be an athletic director at a neighboring high school right before I went into my freshman year. And this is all I had ever dreamed in my life was like, I'm going to go to Pomona high school and play for my dad. Right. This is, I was a ball boy. I was with him constantly. This is all I ever dreamed of. And then all of a sudden he left. And I was, you know, I was shocked and and in hindsight, like really hurt by it. And Pomona's football program took a, a, a very sizable dip in terms of performance when I was a freshman and then a sophomore to the point that when I was a sophomore, we were talking about, okay, I'm, I'm going to leave. Like we're going to go somewhere else and we're going to go – And remember now, like my identity was Pomona football. Like this was it to me. This was all that mattered. And so this was a big moment in my life. And then he decided to leave the athletic director post that he was at and come back and be the head coach at Pomona again. And so he comes back for my junior year and we ended up having a a really good year. We went to the state semifinals, but my dad, this is where the old Marine comes out in him he was not going to play me at quarterback. And so I played safety and the, um, there was another, like there was a senior, but he was like, listen, if there's a senior that's remotely as, as good as you, he's going to play period. And end of discussion. Like it wasn't, we didn't think about colleges. We, there was none of that. It wasn't like what style would be best for Joel and how many reps it, it was like, Hey man, you'll play when you're a senior and you're going to run the offense we've run since 1982 and shut up. And it's like, all right, you know, but that's kind of what I also dreamt and and wanted and everything. So anyways, we had a good junior campaign. And what ends up happening during the course of high school is that I I maintained um, 
playing three sports, which is really rare now. And so I played football and basketball and baseball, partly because my brother did, and I did everything that my brother did. And he was very good. He was an all-conference player in all three sports, and so that was my entire goal. I was like, well, I'm going to be an all-conference player in all three sports. And I started to become really good at baseball, right? So I started developing, and and the lifting that we were doing for football started to translate into baseball. And that's the sport that I was naturally better at. I was just a – I mean, I was a very good baseball player. And so now we start getting into like late high school and Brock, I had no faith. Mm. I had no relationship with Jesus. But showing up on Sundays. Yeah, but I was there with my with my parents on Sundays. And so I hadn't everything that I was was put into who I was as an athlete and how successful I was I was in the next game. And so I had no concept of what like a personal relationship with Jesus was. For me, Christianity was showing up on Sundays, and then when you saw those certain people that you needed to put the facade of like, hey, yeah, I'm a Christian, you know, and like, uh, and it would be like the one teacher or coach that would be like, you coming to FCA Monday? And it's like, oh, yeah, you know. <laughs> um, but this is when like my social life started to take a real um, negative turn and I got into alcohol, uh, pretty heavily and, but still was excelling athletically, which I know is a bit of an oxymoron, but that was happening, you know, because listen, your level of competition in high school is not very good. I know everybody out there that's in high school. I hope you're listening to this. If you think you're good right now, you're not. And like, that's, Right, Brock? Like, yes. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the case. High school. So high school. It's fifth grade. What are you talking about? Yeah. Like they're on the fifth grade elite soccer team. She's oh, amazing. Like, it's like, well, <laughs> I don't care. So, anyways, <laughs> I can be a little bit rough around the edges, as you know, and I think you you appreciate that. I do. Um, so, buddy, like, here I am, like, really excelling in baseball. To the point where I'm starting to get not just college looks, but it's like the pro scouts are at our games. I was hitting a lot of home runs, a lot of home runs. I think I hit like, we played like 48 games in the summer before my senior year. I think I hit like 26 home runs. Almost had 90 or uh, 100 RBIs, right? So like my baseball life is just going through the roof. At the same time, my brother's playing minor league baseball with the San Diego Padres, so they're familiar with our family. They see me, the better version. I'm sorry. I can't help myself. He's the best. I love him. He my is the best. Yeah. I've seen him at church, too, and he is yeah, a and good man. And you know what? Our, our stories are similar in a lot of regards in terms of yeah. what I'm talking about, about not understanding a real personal relationship with Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and he certainly has, has developed that later in life as I have. So Brock, so I'm painting a picture of like, everything was about sports. That's it. That's it, man. And I had no personal relationship. I would show up on church at church and just be like, when is this over? Um, and then I get drafted and I decided to go sign and, and play minor league baseball. So I, I, this is right out of high school, two weeks after graduation, I get drafted and to me, man, this was the culmination. This was a finish line event. You know, like 
I did it. I can define myself as successful. See everyone like, Hey, everyone, you know, quick. I felt like Ron Burgundy, you know, look at where I was drafted. Every, you know, I wanted, I wanted everybody's approval for that. Makes me really sad now, uh, Mm. to be honest. You know, I know Mm. it's, I'm trying to make a, a joke, but it makes me really sad when I think back at just like the brokenness that I was experiencing during that time. Um, so I signed in large part because I wanted to to have the label that I played professional baseball. I didn't know what was best for me. I didn't even know who I was, right? Because mm-hmm. I didn't have a have a personal relationship with with Christ. So I go and and start playing minor league baseball two weeks after high school, and you know it went okay my first year, but man, like I wanted to be liked. I want to be successful. I wanted you know. And then it's like the drinking takes off. Success in baseball starts to wane. Why? Because there's better baseball players out there than the seniors in high school in Colorado. <laughs> you know? And it's like the first time I saw a 92-mile-an-hour slider, I was like, what was that? So, you know, all of these things. So what ends up happening is is my life takes a real downward spiral because I start failing at the only thing that I'm holding my identity in, in baseball. And then personally, I start to mask all of the things in my life. So any feeling of frustration or guilt or shame or judgment coming from kind of the facade of my family, right? The facade of our, our Christian walk. And it's like, we show up on Sunday. That's a, that's a heavy like burden to bear is to feel like you always have to live up to the facade. Mm-hmm. And so my escape was alcohol. You know, it's, I was numbing myself. I was numbing myself to all of these things. I had this illusion that this is where I was accepted. I had this illusion is that this is where I was happy and free is when I was drinking. And so I started drinking a lot Hmm. and it was, it was really, really dark in particular in the off seasons. I can remember, you know, being around, I was back in Colorado in an off season and I got nearly blackout drunk. I think it was something like 35 or 40 straight nights. Um, and man, that was like, uh, that was a, obviously a dark time for a lot of different reasons. And I started to get this twinge of, you need, like, this has to change, right? And I've, I know that was the Holy Spirit, yeah. but it was also, now let's circle back, my sister. My sister closest to me. This is when she... She had always had a really strong faith. We were very opposite. She was a valedictorian. I didn't care about school. She was, you know, AP everything. I couldn't care less, you know, about about it. And I had one teacher tell me in high school, really nasty, you're nothing like your sister. And And I looked at her and I was like, thank you. And she was like, that wasn't a compliment. And I was, and I'm like, I know I was just that type of guy. I was abrasive. And so Jenny is her name. Uh, Jenny was just always chasing after me. 
you know, chasing, chasing. When I graduated high school and went to sign a minor league baseball, she gives me the Bible that I read every single morning. She writes a big letter about, like, these are the words of life. Not do these things to be happy, do these things to make me proud. These are the words of life, Mm. you know? And she would just constantly pray for me and pray for me and pray for me. And then she would invite me down to stay with her because now she was out of college and she was a youth group uh, leader at Cherry Hills Church right by your house now. And turns out that one of the girls in her youth group is named Sarah Ordway. And one of these nights I went down there to just spend some time with Jenny so that I could avoid what was going on in my life. And I meet Sarah. And, you know, so Jenny's running me down, running me down, running me down. And I eventually get to the point where I'm like, I can't do it. One of my good friends uh, committed suicide. And I'm sitting in a hotel in Ogden, Utah. And I made the decision. I was like, I'm done with sports. This is Mm. it. I don't want to do this anymore. This is not fulfilling. This is not life-giving. I need to change my life. So then you fast forward, and the next off-season is the fall of 2001. I was going to a lot of college football games. Like at, at Colorado, they were having a good year. I am end up at, a, at the 2001 Colorado-Nebraska game. Colorado beats them 62-36. to 36. I'm sitting there with my best friend in the world, and I keep telling them, like, man, like I'm so miserable. I just like... I just want to come to school. Look at all these students. Like, look at all we're sitting in the student section. I'm like, look at this. Like, these people are having the, the time of their life. And I'm like, I'm miserable. And he finally looked at me and he was like, then quit. <laughs> kind of like, shut up, you know? And this is like only he can say. And I was like, oh, man, you're exactly right. <laughs> so then, so I, I say that long story just to tell you, like, <laughs> the decision was never about I'm going to quit baseball to go play football. I was leaving baseball because I was tired of having my identity wrapped up in baseball. I was failing personally. And so once I made that decision, I thought, well, I have eligibility, so I'll just go someplace and and be able to walk on, right? And Colorado had just won the Big 12 championship. I had not been recruited to a Division I football school. I went up and talked to their offensive coordinator. His name Sean Watson only because – he recruited from my dad's school. And so we knew him and I thought he would give me a good, um, lay of the land for like, Hey, which schools would be good to walk ons. Right. And I was like, what do you think? Like Wyoming, Boise, Hawaii. And I thought those would be like over my head. Right. I was recruited division two to play football out of high school. So I didn't think I was like, could play at Colorado. That'd be, that's crazy. And he stopped me mid meeting and he was like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. You're you're quitting baseball and you're gonna just go to school and walk on and I was like yeah and he was like well then you're gonna do it here and I was like whoa hold on like what are you talking about and he was like no 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 you're coming here if you just want to like come like then you're coming here and that's the first time I had ever dreamed that I could go to the University of Colorado dreamed of it I mean it was and so then I'm like well why not? You know? So I go back to spring training. I give myself like one more month to see if I can move up a level. It doesn't happen. 
I end up, you know, leaving baseball, driving home, and decide to enroll at Colorado and, and walk on there. Um, and this whole time, my sister is just chasing me, you know, chasing me. And now there's these little inklings of like changing your life, you know, starting to like grow up and just think of, man, these things that I've put my identity in are letting me down in a big way. Uh, none of them are fulfilling me. I thought that getting drafted was going to be the most fulfilling thing in my life. It turned out that it was the rock bottom moment of my life. You know, like all these things that I thought I was, you know, going to be able to have success in high school football. And like that was going to mean so much to me. And it didn't. It left me empty inside. All these things that I had put on a pedestal that, that I thought was going to fulfill me completely let me down. And so now I'm going back to school, and to me, it's like, hey, I'm going to maybe run out behind Ralphie a couple of times. That'll be awesome, and I'll get a degree and then just go, you know, um, get a job and have a life. Uh, So all of a sudden, man, like I get back and I start to practice, and I was like joy on 10 (laughs) because – I didn't have my identity wrapped up in my status on the team. I just loved being there. It was just like, this is incredible. Look at what I'm getting to do. And that joy, you know, was what all of a sudden allowed me to start having some success. And then like mm-hmm. all of a sudden I'm traveling with them. And then all of a sudden and I loved football and the schematics of football. And I had a bent towards the schematics of football which I never knew before because we ran like the option in high school with my dad's 1982 offense that he never adjusted for me. So that's cool. But like it, it was all of a sudden it was just like, it was so much fun, but it was so much fun because I wasn't trying to gain life via what was happening on the field every day. How was your identity creep? Is that, is the sport became fun as you were getting opportunity to play so Did that identity fight and battle wage. Yeah. So I'm giving you like the longest version possible here. I hope you're all right with that. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so what ends up happening is like, I'm just a walk on loving it. Like they fed us food. I was in minor league baseball where if they ran out of money at the end of the month, you got a tub of mayonnaise and a loaf of bread. And like that was spread. That's a true story, by the way. That absolutely happened. So I know what it's like when it's like your, quote, meal of the day is a peanut butter sandwich. Like, I remember that. I remember having no money and just being like, man, let's go buy an economy-sized cup of noodles and then use the coffee maker in the hotel to warm up the water to pour in the cup of noodles. Like, that was dinner. And now I get to Colorado, and it was like, there's a salad bar and a pasta bar at a training table. And I was like, this is amazing. So it was this, this joy-filled moment. But then all of a sudden, as, as I became uh, inched closer to becoming the starting quarterback, all of those old identity tricks started to circle above. And the reason was is because I had not placed my identity in Christ yet. Okay. And so that starts happening and, and um, kind of go through college. Well, while I'm at college, that girl that I had met when she was a senior in my sister's youth group was also at the University of Colorado. Her name's Sarah Ordway. Sarah. Sarah Ordway Sarah. is like 
a mentee of my sister, right? So like she is seeking out the campus ministry, really strong faith, came to the faith uh, in high school on her own. So like understands how to have a personal relationship. And then one day after a, a football game as a freshman, my sister was out there to, to say hello. And like she came over to say hello to my sister. And so she's there, I'm there. And she's like, oh, you should come to this campus ministry on Tuesday night. It's called the Annex. And I was like, awesome. This girl digs me. She's inviting me to, you know, the campus ministry. So she's like, I'll pick you up. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. You know, that's progressive. Far out. And so I'm like, I get all ready. I douse myself in cologne, probably, you know, cheap, awful cologne. And I go out to get in the car and I open the door and there's two other guys in the back seat. Also doused in cologne. They also think that they're on a date with Sarah. And I'm like, I'm, I looked at him. I was like, who are you? And they're just like, looked at me. And they're like, uh. to her credit, she saved shotgun for me. So I get in shotgun and she drives us to this campus ministry. And it's just like the Jesus mobile, man. Any, anybody that thought she was cute, she was like, well, let's go you know, talk about Jesus. And so she would drive into this camp, campus ministry. So every Tuesday night, I would always go to try to see her, right? So then the rest of that semester, I'd always go to try to see her. Well, Brock, here's what ends up happening. I would sit there and I would listen and hear the worship. And this guy that was speaking, I was like, man, I've just never heard it put this way. Like he's, he's just a really great communicator. And oh man, all these things that I had been feeling over the last few years, you know, failure, shame, guilt, all this stuff, oh, this makes sense. You know, this is starting to make sense. I'm not here because my parents are here. I'm not here. Like, I'm, I'm listening for the first time. I'm hearing the gospel, really, for the first time. These are not stories that I heard in Sunday school. These are like, this is applicable gospel. And his name was Bill Stevens. And Bill Stevens, you know, ends up loving golf. I love golf. Even though I hadn't really picked it up yet, I was like, I want to pick up golf. So all of a sudden, at the end of one of the school years, they're like, hey, we're doing a trip up to Montana, Anaconda, Montana, to go to this golf course called Old Works. And I was like, I want to do that. That sounds really cool. you know. And so I got this cheap set of golf clubs. And, I, and this is totally unlike me. I signed up to go on this trip, didn't know a soul on the trip. The next year, I'm probably going to be the starting quarterback. So we're driving up in those white church vans to Anaconda, Montana. And, like, everyone in the van is like, you know, like, well, what's your name? And I'm like, I'm Joel. And they're like, and what do you do? And I'm like, well, you know, I'm going to be a sophomore. I play on the football team. And they're all like, you don't play on the football team. And I was like, no, like, I, you know, I do. Uh, I do play on the football team. And, and they're like, oh, what position? Quarterback. And I'm like, oh, do you play? And I'm like, oh. I'm probably going to start next year, but I still have to win the job. And Bill Stevens is like, nope, 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 that's a lie. He's like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. So anyways, like, Bill and I form this great relationship because of this moment, right? Yeah. And then it becomes, you know, sorry, I got to fly in my office. I'm waving it out. Um, Bill has a little bent towards like, you know, maybe some, a little gambling here or there. I do as well. So like we start bonding and I start seeing these guys that are like, oh man, these are not facade believers that I grew up with. These are guys that are just like living, loving the Lord. 
and that trip was one of the first times mm-hmm. I'd ever seen that. You know, it wasn't just, you know, proper Sunday school behavior all the time. It was just guys that were real. They loved Jesus. They wanted to play some golf. It, And that trip made a huge impact on me to the point where Bill and I would start to meet outside of those Tuesday night ministries. So long story to tell you, like Bill Stevens becomes my spiritual mentor mm-hmm. um, right before my sophomore year of college right before you know i i start and you know brock like he was he was so influential in my life but there was this giant fight going on identity fight of where i was placing my identity was i the the starting quarterback at colorado or was i you know a child of god you know and where did i place the most value because yes, the, each of those labels are true, but where did I place my value? And that was a big fight over the last three years there. Mm-hmm. And he encouraged me to continue to pursue and eventually ask out Sarah Ordway, who had the Jesus mobile. And at the end of that first year as a starter, Sarah and I started to date. And then by the next year at Christmas time, we were engaged, and now we just celebrated our 18th marriage marriage anniversary, wedding anniversary. So, you know, it it works in in really amazing ways. Um, I will tell you that, like, when I got back to school, my drinking curbed quite significantly. The last element of my testimony or story that that I'll give is that because I didn't because my identity fight wasn't won in college and I still like held so tightly to my identity as, as a quarterback and an, and an athlete, when that ended, it was soul crushing. It was soul crushing. And here I am, you know, now I would say like, I do have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but I have no idea like, what I'm doing because I was so depressed. I didn't know how to do, you know, what am I going to do with my life? What are the labels that define me? How am I defining myself as successful? And so like I went through a really, really down patch and started getting back into alcohol. And so like the next few years were really dark again, early in our marriage. And it was the only thing that we fought about was (laughs) alcohol because I could never stop. And it wasn't that I was doing it every single day. It's just that I didn't have a governor because there was still so much deep-seated, you know, um, from from the facade of my childhood, like judgment and shame and guilt and all this, you know, deep-seated stuff that I still felt that sense of relief when I would drink. And so... For me, it was I didn't drink every day, but when I did, it was like, man, there's not enough in this room. Like, there's there are not enough drinks for it, you know, because what I the freedom that I f- feel in the moment um, was, I don't know. I mean, it was it was an numbing. illusion of freedom. You yeah, know, it was, it, was, it was yeah, it was a numbing mechanism. So Brock, like finally when it basically boils to a head when Sarah's pregnant with our first child. So Henry, 
And she finally, you know, I have one of these episodes where, you know, I'm, I'm alone at a Fleming's happy hour and I rack up a $200 bill over three hours when I thought I was just going to get a burger and drive myself home. And she's just like, I'm done. Like you're, you're either not going to have another drink or someone else is going to raise this kid. And I haven't touched it since. Wow. You know, so. You know, what's amazing, Joel, is we went into these podcasts five, six years ago that it's been. And the, I I think even the branding of above and beyond was the intersection of faith and sports. Mm -hmm. But if we have done, I don't know, somewhere 40 to 50 of these with a lot of people, you know, (laughs) you know, we didn't even get to John Kitna, the imprint he made on you and your life, some of the shared relationships and that's okay. And friendships that we have with people that, that made imprints on our life. But of the 50, I'm going to say, Oh my gosh, the overwhelming majority of them. It's not the crossroads of sport and faith. It's the crossroads of religion versus relationship. Yeah. Yeah, it's a crossroads of the facade of religion, or however you want to shape that. You know, I, I appreciate those words you said, but it's it's just that facade of going through the motions, the facade of of a label, the facade of an identity that says I'm this, versus the actual relationship. And a dear friend of mine in the broadcast world, you would know his name, said to me, "You know, I'm kind of having a hard time with your podcast because many of them." are people coming out of, uh, of a faith and where it was just religion, but there wasn't relationship. Yeah. When and how, I guess, um, as we wrap this up, did you take those steps yeah. to relationship? So I think that I shared the, the alcohol part as such a big part of this story because that was a big moment, Right. And that was a big moment because I no longer had a crutch. So like all of the things that I was dealing with in terms of, I mean, shoot, Brock, you can name whatever, you know, like all of the guilt, shame, like that are, that almost is all of the anti to, to human experience, right? <laughs> almost the anti fruits as you have said that, Correct. like peace, patience, kindness, goodness, right? Self-control. That's right. All of that stuff. You know, like that was the only way I coped with it. And so now, man, it's like, oh, oh, like, okay, like here we go. So now, um, now it becomes a much more important uh, idea to really wrestle with what a personal relationship with Jesus Christ looks like. Yeah. What it looks like, not in the sense of what it what a perfect relationship with Jesus what does my relationship with Jesus Christ yeah. look like? And that's where a guy enters the the, the equation. His name's Dave Runyon. And Dave um was uh and is kind of in, in the ministry and he worked at, at a church that we went to when I was going to, but I didn't meet him until later in life. And so Dave loves golf, you know, and just started like really loving on me and asking me really important questions about 
what I believed. Why was I mad at Christianity? I had this such a such a hardened edge to like the church and and Christianity and and all this, you know, and the religion. And and it was because all I had attached to it was this this that it was the source of this judgment that I felt upon myself. You know, falling short, not measuring up, not doing the things right, so on and so forth. And he just started like unpeeling that onion and just asking me questions, basically giving me enough rope to the point where it's like, oh, you know, like all of these, um, uh, all of these things became very apparent to me over time through Dave's mentorship. And that took a lot of years, you know, all the way from me moving into California and, you know, we lived in Manhattan Beach. There's really not a great faith community in Manhattan Beach, California. And so we didn't have a great church community. We ended up moving down to Newport Beach. And all of a sudden, there is this great church community. And there is this this really cool Christian school that our kids can go into. But then, you know what ends up happening? And this is what's wild. I had never done a good job of just spending time with the Lord. Just spending time with Jesus right? It was a checkbox. It was, you know, it was a rep in the weight room to me. It's like you do it for what it gives you, you know? And what I, what I never realized would happen was that the more time I spent in the Word, in prayer, the more that my personal relationship would grow, just like any other interpersonal relationship. The more time I spend with my wife, the, the more connected we're going to feel, you know? And, and so March 17th, 2020, two days after the XFL is shut down and COVID hits our country, I'm like, well, what am I going to do every day? Well, let me tell you what I did every day, Brock. I opened up my Bible and I started to journal and pray every single day, just reading through it. New Testament, I would read like one book, uh, one chapter of New Testament, one chapter of Old Testament, you know, every day. And at first, it was a rep in a weight room to me. I loved writing down the date and being like, I'm doing it every day. Yeah, you know, like I'm achieving. And as I just kept doing it and kept doing it, the scripture, man, just was like revealed to me. The, 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 the peace and joy the all the fruits that you kind of yep. mentioned earlier, yep. they become more palpable. And the more I realized I didn't earn any of these. All of these are a free gift. And and all of these are not because of what I have done, but because of who he is. And it's just like page after page of of realizing like Hey man, all this time when you think you're so good, you're achieving, your identity is in what you do, he's screaming at you in the background and the loudest, quietest voice possible, it's me. It's me. Right? And and that's what ends up happening. And and I have I've missed a day here here or there, and not to make it about like, oh, I haven't missed a day or anything like that. I crave every single morning like a cup of coffee, time time in the word time with Jesus and and the reason is is because he constantly reminds me that he has my back that he what he did to the on the cross is what has earned uh everything that that I have 
And then in Philippians 1.21, because of what he has done, for me to live is Christ, is what Paul says when he's in jail in, in a Roman prison. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. My, my son asked me about that. I was like, what does that even mean, Dad? Well, because everybody can define themselves. And, and by the way, our pastor just did a, a sermon on this last week. Everybody, every one of us have to fill in the blank. For me to live is blank. Every one of us, right? And what we fill that blank with is really, really important. And Paul says, for me to live is Christ. Well, within Christ, there is joy and service and happiness and all of the fruits of the Spirit. And, you know, so... That's what becomes very apparent to me just through time uh, spent with him. My relationships with my kids become so much better. My relationship with my wife has become so much better. Um, and and now, you know, w- what I wrestle with daily now, currently, Brock, is this idea that... My purpose is not anything worldly. You know, my purpose is not Big Noon Saturday. My purpose is not even, you know, what my kids do or where I live or what I drive or the score I shoot when I'm playing golf. You know, my my purpose is to live in his purpose for me. And... It's not so much a wrestle as as every day just trying to unlock, you know, what that purpose is. There's a lot, you know, I, I'm in Philippians right now. I'm reading a lot in Acts right now. Um, being very, um, not convicted is not the right word, but just nudged in this, this idea of witness mm-hmm. and this idea of which is so fascinating. It's like, as this is happening in my life, you start texting me and being like, Hey man, do you want to share your testimony? You know, it's like, <laughs> not an accident. Uh, it works in really cool ways. Yes. Um, this idea of witness, um, <clears throat> it was put to me, uh, last week and in, with, with incredible clarity. So Brock, when we go to heaven, we are going to be in perfection, Right. Everything that we could possibly dream of, the peace, the joy, the love, all of it, praise, rejoice, no pain, no cancer, right? Like, it's going to be unbelievable when we go and we, we're with our Lord in heaven. The one thing that we can't do in heaven that we get to do here, the one thing is witness to a non-believer. Because they're not up there. And th- when that was said to me last week, I was like, oh, uh, you know, th- I'll always remember that. It kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. And it's been just a, a really uh, fun experience to label myself as a child of God, find my identity in that, really work hard actively to push against, like, I'm not the other labels that people will try to label me with. I'm not a, a Fox college football, you know, that's what I do and I love it and I want to excel at it. 
as do you. And I want to excel at it because that's what he would want me to do, you mm-hmm. know, um, perform for the audience of one, if you will. Um, so, yeah, there's like so many directions well, we could go now, right? Yeah. You know, well, in, the, in this conversation, yeah. <laughs> but that's, that's bringing it all the way up until like this, this moment. I love the witness. That's what this platform is. That's what I pray before we get started with every one of these guests. Lord, move us out of the way and just let us be your witness. Let me end with this because I know kids listen to this. Young, aspiring, young athletes, right? Because of the path that you got to play sports and be a, a pro baseball player and get to play college football at a high level. Now you get to do what you do at the highest level. There will be people that want to listen to this and parents that want to listen to this and let their kids listen to it. If you could give encouragement to that aspiring young athlete, if you could give encouragement to that mom or dad that's in the vehicle right now and has this podcast on listening to it on how to empower their young you know, athletes and kids and, and how to be an influence, if you could give counsel to those in those positions or any other positions that are, that are finding this podcast and listening to it of how do I go about really having a relationship? where I really shed as you, and I love the way you said that about um, Mr. Runyon of just peeling those layers back. Right. And I think you've already done it and I'm not asking for any grand answer other than just what's no, on your heart. Is, this, well, th- I mean, I think this is uh man, if I had a great answer, I, I think I would have written a really cool book already, you know, right. Cause I Brock, I, I don't know. I don't have a great answer. I do know, I know a couple of things. I know that what we do on this earth, we should do as if working for an audience of one, right? So I want athletes to excel, push hard, you know, be great with the gifts that you have been given. And then I, I, what I would say is like, what you have to understand is that at some point that's going to end. And what you find your worth in can't be of the world. So as you, as you push and as you work to become the best version or athlete that you can be good, do that and work hard and diligent. Why? Because your teammates rely on you and people are watching. People are watching how you work and the way you work and the reasons why you work and you work for your teammates and, and you work because, because you love them and you, you want to be the best version of yourself you can possibly be. And when they see that, they'll notice something different in you. And if they ask you what's different about you, you say, well, what's different is, is that every fiber of my being wants to excel at this. But even if I don't, I know I'm excelling in life. I know where I'm going. I know who I belong to. I know what my ultimate goal is. I know where my ultimate destination is. And I know where I, my happiness will ultimately be fulfilled. Because no athletic event, not winning the Super Bowl, not winning the World Series, as a coach or a player or a GM or whatever you aspire to be, none of that will fulfill you 
It can give you a great amount of happiness and good for you if you do those things. But the ultimate joy and the ultimate um, rejoicing in this life is when we accept the free gift of grace and mercy that Jesus placed on himself on the cross. Pretty good answer, brother. Pretty good answer. And Man, I'll tell it's you. It's such a tough one, though, right? It is like, a tough one. But right at the a... beginning of it, I, I appreciated it and I just wrote it down. Understanding that your gifts, your talents are given to you. They're given to you. You can maximize them, right? You can make the most of them and you can pursue them and you can attack them. But in the end, they're given to you and understand that gift. You know, so like there's a few stories in the Bible that I would like point to. So, um, so for instance, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? They're, they're in front of the king, and the king's about to throw them into the, into the furnace. And they, they proclaim the name of the Lord, right? And then there's a line in there. They say, but even if he doesn't protect us, and we do die in this fire, that doesn't make him any less. Like, he's still God, mm. right? And so... That's the one line that I would try to add into that is like when you push and you strive, it doesn't absolutely mean that you're going to have success. Mm-hmm. And if you do, great and good for you. But even if you don't, he's still the Lord and he's still God, right? Um, I think that we can bend that. I do, I do, Brock, get a, like when people are like, thank God for a win right afterwards. I'm like, Hey man, like he died for everybody in that stadium. He wants every single soul and he loves every soul in that stadium stadium equally. And all he wants, regardless of what the scoreboard says is for every one of those individuals to turn to him and say, father, you know, I don't know. Now I'm getting into preacher mode, but (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you for the Holy Spirit pinging you uh, for getting this done, for getting this new season going every time that I do one of these podcasts. And we had a caller on our morning show today, Joel, uh, same thing. You, you were pinged in a way. I was pinged in a way. A caller named Ira from Spokane talked about just this platform and what it meant in his life, actually turning from drinking <laughs> and actually being sober. And, you know, those things aren't, as I say, like kind of tear up. Those things aren't coincidence, right? The Lord uses his people to bring glory to him. And uh, you have done that. And we could do this a long, long time. So thank you. He just desires life for (laughs) all of us. In relationship. He desires life for all of us. In the most abundant ways that you can possibly imagine. Above and Beyond. The intersection of faith and sports. Subscribe to receive every episode at aboveandbeyondpodcast.com.